At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo, and we have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. The theme mostly with Healthcare Americana and why we even started this show in the first place was to get the word out and tell people stories about how they're impacting healthcare in ways that might be a little bit under the radar. While we do focus mainly on healthcare topics, there are some fun and interesting people that kind of raise their hand and say, you know what, Chris, I got a story to tell. What about this? I think this could impact people's lives. And this is one of those episodes, and this is one of those stories. Sulin Chen is joining me, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Cake. Now, why this conversation piqued our interest is because it presents people with a different option to something that is a very emotional, very stressful It can be a very expensive topic or really an incident or occurrence that we really can't avoid, and that is a comprehensive end-of-life care, end-of-life preparation, end-of-life planning. Now, some of you might be saying, well, okay, wait a minute, how does that fit into what we normally talk about, about how hospitals and insurance companies are bad guys and doctors and patients are out there trying to fix it? Bear with us because this is a fascinating story about giving people choice and trying to make lives easier. Sulin, thank you for really reaching out and thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Now, I hope I did justice to you there. And and we're all about choice. We love choice, especially when it comes to any type of health topic. So give us a rundown of cake and, and kind of your background into this, because again, I don't want people to say, oh, well, this isn't healthcare related because it absolutely is. And you bring in a lot of factors from just stress and the finances. And we, we talk about how expensive health care for, you know, uh, yeah. midlife, early life is. And I think people neglect, and I think you're, you're right to identify that people neglect what happens when we get older and as our parents get older and there's a lot of things there that could go wrong. So uh, with that, I will I will stop yeah. talking and uh, <laughs> let you explain um, all the innovation that you're bringing. Yeah, no, I, I think I kind of see us as we are addressing sort of the elephant in the room anytime we're talking about healthcare, which is death, right? It's something that we all face. Every single one of us is going to have to address death, either for ourselves or for our loved ones, many times in our lives, right? So I this is definitely... There's an old saying about that, right? Oh, I think there's many. Yeah, there's many, many, many. (laughs) And I think whether it's super top of mind or not, it is a topic 
on our minds, especially living through a pandemic, especially given all the existential dread that a lot of us have with climate and then just regular health events, right, that are happening to us and to the people we care about. And so, and my background actually is in healthcare and that is how I came into it. So I'm happy to talk more about that as well. But what we do at Cake, so the website's joincake.com, we're the leading platform for helping people navigate the fact that we are mortal beings. So we help people with end of life planning as well as what to do after loss. So we actually have 40 million people a year coming to the site looking for solutions to help them with these things because it can be very confusing, disorienting, emotional. And there, until we came around, there wasn't a lot of great information online to help people with it. And so that's what we're trying to do. Um, we have thousands of resources and articles. We have interactive tools that are an end-to-end solution to so helping both with the planning side of things and then once someone passes away what are all the things that have to happen and what are some of the ways that can help people grieve and honor life even after somebody's passed and so yeah so my background actually is from healthcare um, not on the clinical side i did my undergrad and phd at mit i was working on medical technology and i think what's interesting is even though i didn't know it at the time i think i was already starting to digest some of these ideas of more healthcare intervention is not always better. It really depends on the patient. It depends on their family and their situation and their choices and the outcome. So my PhD research was very much centered around cancer and getting better prognostic information to make treatment decisions because sometimes treatment results in a reduced quality of life. And so there are trade-offs. And I think that that was something that really stuck with me is that in our healthcare system, sometimes the trade-offs are not talked about enough and people's options are not laid out. And I think there's a lot of systemic reasons for that. So I think on an individual basis, everyone's doing their best, but I think the system is set up where there's a lot of inertia. And so there's a bias towards more treatment. And for some people, that's the right call. And for others, it's not. But for those people, that conversation doesn't happen very often. This is a space to me has always been dominated by the legal side. Yes. You talk yeah. about estate planning and end of life. And, you know, you've got to make sure that you pay your lawyer to build your will, make sure your estate's wrapped up. But even end of life care, I mean, you see some high profile cases over the past five, 10 years where some family members say, you know what, quality of life is just not there for this loved one. The other side says, nope, we want to keep them hooked up, keep them going. Maybe there's a miracle coming our way. And then they fight it out in court. And I'm just thinking, my God, that is that is no way to honor somebody, like you said, or interact with anybody and, and kind of honor their last wishes. So how does this, how does how, what your vision differ from kind of the, the legal community of a lot of these issues? Yeah, I, I kind of see two issues embedded in what you just said. So one is the fact that it's become very legalized which, you know, the way we think about it is some of these legal documents are absolutely necessary and there's nothing wrong with having legal documents, but the challenge is that they're not designed to be user-friendly, right? The legal documents are designed to be legal documents and to basically mitigate risk and things like that. So they're not super easy for a normal person to understand what are the implications and what do I need to do? And so they just weren't designed for that. And I think it's also often missing some of this human element of how people actually behave and make decisions, right? It's all about risk mitigation as opposed to, well, what's really best for people? And it, all of that's understandable. So, so that's one thread. And then I think the other thread is what you were mentioning about how, you know, we see a lot that sometimes what happens is someone will receive care, even if it's causing more suffering, right? So in our 
country, you know, generally a quarter of your lifetime healthcare expenditures in the last year of life. And a lot of that is expected and totally normal and makes sense. But some of that is for care that's causing more suffering, is unnecessary, is unwanted. But there's inertia, as I said, in the healthcare system. So people are just going to get the care unless they specifically opt out. But that is very challenging to do. And it's very challenging to self-advocate. And sometimes people don't have the capacity to do so. So it had to have happened in advance. That's advanced care planning, right? And that doesn't happen enough. And no one's owning that workflow, generally speaking, in, in, on the, in the provider setting. So part of what we were trying to do was has been to educate people, right? This is something you can talk about in advance. And I think you also see this huge see change in consumer sentiment and consumer behavior around medical aid and dying and things like that. And it's because people are fearing this loss of autonomy and decision-making at the end of life in situations like the ones you you mentioned. Mentioning advocacy, because that's a big component of what we do at Freedom Health Works is basically you join a membership to a physician's office and you get to build, develop a relationship with that physician. They know you, they know your family, they know your kids. How important is it from your standpoint, to have somebody asking those questions, performing second opinions, or be able to speak on someone's behalf saying, you know what, mom's had a good life. She told me that, hey, if things go bad, just, hey, no pain, but I'm good. Yeah, and I mean, those yeah. are painful conversations. How do you, how do you those have are really that hard. family members and doctors? And I guess the, the main question is like, what role do physicians, trusted physicians have in those conversations with people? Yeah, that's such a great question. So ideally, every physician is trained to have these conversations, right? But what actually happens today is that some are really good at it and others are afraid of it. They were never trained until recently has not been a standard part of medical training, right? And they may not think it's their job, right? So if someone is um, a cancer patient, is it the oncologist's job? Is it the PCP's job? Is it the nurse or social worker's job? At a lot of places, no one really takes it on as their job. And so really the system we have today is it's just by chance, whether or not you will happen upon a clinician who will have that conversation with you and do it in a way that really is really truly helpful. And so what we're trying to do is also provide the family and patient with information so they can also initiate if they are not in a situation where the clinician is proactively doing that. So one kind of initiative that we're involved with in, so we're located in Boston, headquartered there. Um, in Massachusetts, there's a serious illness coalition. So it's a big coalition of payers, providers, companies like ours, digital health companies who want to make advanced care planning better. And one of the initiatives they did was they made all the medical schools in Massachusetts mandate training around having advanced care conversations, which we think is a great first step. But I think it has to happen from multiple ends. It has to happen from the provider and clinician end and physician end. And it also has to happen from the patient and family end. And um, I think it's very important for the patient to be able to self-advocate, but as you kind of alluded, also have loved ones advocate on their behalf. So what we've seen in some of the research is just as important as having the documentation of, this is the person that makes decisions for me, and this is what I would want is having that person there talking to clinicians about decision-making around healthcare. Legal documentation is important, but also that person feeling confident that they can advocate for you is equally important, if not more important. I see some parallels here. And just because these conversations are fresh on mine, talking about mental and emotional stress and mental and, and, and emotional health issues, that I point to a lot of people to say, you know what, would 60 minutes with a primary care doctor be more beneficial than just seven minutes and standard just to kind of unburden somebody, but have that medical professional to talk to. And I like that you identified, look, look, the medical community is able to have those conversations. They're just not. 
whether it's their choice or whether it's the industry choice, whether it's the payer's choice. And I think that's something that it's a very profound statement that you made. Yeah, I think there's a lot of systemic issues at play. And I think the broader concept that frames a lot of this is something that Ato Gawande said. And this is paraphrasing what he said, but people have goals in their care beyond just living as long as possible. Right. But that is sort of how the system is set up. Right. Just extend, extend, extend. And, you know, after I was working on the engineering and medical technology side, I actually worked on the business side of healthcare. So a lot of the clients that I was working with were therapeutics companies extending life, maybe last line cancer therapeutics extending life by another few months. And while I think that is a very worthy cause and very helpful and important for families, what I really got into during that time was at the end of that, everyone dies. Right. And then families and patients feel very abandoned. There's not a lot of support. And then the fear of talking about death prevents us from having these advanced care conversations. And what the kind of ripple effects is that people are not super in tune with their values. People have not had those conversations with their family members about what they would want. And then their wishes are not respected. And then there's a lot of unnecessary suffering, both kind of mental, emotional, physical suffering on the part of the patient, but also on the family, not knowing if they made the right choice for their loved one or family member. That is so hard. And then there's many cases where because maybe the person was not a healthcare proxy or did not get officially designated as the sort of medical proxy, that they are barred from making decisions and they are very frustrated because they want to and they knew what the person wanted, but they can't, right? And there's just so many bad things that can happen if we don't have these conversations in advance. It's a different language and people just don't understand. It's like they, they think about terms in a way that they're interacted with, you know, their loved ones. And they know what they, but it's it's hard to get that out into a clinical nature, and then being able to process what's coming back at them in a time of grieving, in a time of again, you know, great stress. So, what I love about Cake, and again, we're talking to Sulin Chen, CEO and co-founder of Cake, is that you provide a ton of resources to help answer a lot of those questions. And you know, when I was researching this episode, I'm like, wow, there's. There's a lot of questions that are answered here or resources provided on your website that helps alleviate not awkwardness, but some of that uncertainty is, man, I, from my standpoint, like I hate going to funerals. I'm there for like you know friends and family and when they lose lo- loved ones. But that whole thing to me is just someplace where I just I don't like to be. But yet I want to be present and accountable and, and supportive in that. And so I'm even learning a ton of stuff researching your company. So when did you know, okay, we have something here. We can provide all types of resources from like we talked about early in the show. But you know what we really need to do is help people meet them where they are so that they can kind of walk through different situations and understand anything from gifts to what do I say? How do I handle this? What, what have other people done? What are other people's experiences? And I think that's very powerful to be able to tell those stories. Absolutely. And you're not alone. You know, I don't think that most people would say, oh, I'm so looking forward to going to a funeral, right? There's so many complex emotions, that not only... Makes you feel better. You know, yeah, yeah I mean, it's completely normal. <laughs> That's why we exist, right? Because, of course, you're like grieving the person who lost, but you're also thinking about your own, right? It's kind of almost automatic. And that is really hard. So, you know, part of what we're doing is trying to provide more resources around that. And then a lot of 
behavior changes happening in this industry where people are wanting to have more celebrations of life or people are wanting to make different choices than what traditionally has been available to be more eco-conscious or have more an expression of who they are at their memorial event. And I will say that a lot of what we do, as you kind of alluded to, was there just hasn't been this good access to this information, right? There is not very good access across our country to palliative care, as an example. So obviously, people who are trained in palliative care are very good at these conversations, but there is not enough of them to go around for patients. So one of the founding kind of premises of this was there's no way we can scale the amount of clinicians who are trained and can help people with these things fast enough to meet the need. So one way is to provide self-serve online, asynchronous, highly scalable resources not to replace anything that's happening in the medical field, but really to augment it because there's not enough. And so it was very much an access standpoint, like how can we get people this information? Because there's such an asymmetry of information, right? So if a doctor is telling you, you need radiation treatment or whatever, it's very hard to say, nope, that's not what I want. Or for the family to say, no, we don't think that's right, unless you're really armed with a lot of information. So that's one kind of thing. And then I think the other thing is, The traditional way that a lot of these forms were developed, as you mentioned, from a very much a legal standpoint, are really intimidating, right? Like, do you want to be intubated? Yes or no? Like, that's a crazy question to ask someone. And so our, you know, even though- It seems very, very, it's like, well, I don't, it it depends on what's going on, right? Oh my gosh, exactly. It's not just a black and white issue is my point. You are completely right. It's always gray. Right. And so that's how the forms kind of originated. And it makes sense. Right. Because it's like very kind of from a legal standpoint, from a human standpoint, it makes no sense. Right. Like you said, it's super situational. There's a lot of if this, then that. And it's almost impossible to anticipate. Then you can imagine as a healthy person, it's like you can't even put yourself in that situation. Right. And people do change their minds. People acclimate to different situations and or people change their minds. Right. So these things happen. So you know, one thing that we, even though we take a very agnostic view of like what people's decisions are, we don't say, oh, you should opt for this or that. But where we are putting our thumb on the scale a little bit is what are some different approaches that might open up a better understanding of these conversations? So one a kind of example of that is one of our advisors is Dr. Ira Bayok. He's this amazing palliative care physician and thought leader. And his view on how advanced care planning should be after his decades of experience, it should not be do you want this intervention or not? It should be more around values, who you trust, and then how much decision-making, like just a kind of higher level conveyance of information of, I want everything in the kitchen sink, all the way to, I trust this person just to make decisions for me, to, you know, I quality of life is really important to me. So more of um give a general direction without making these very binary decisions, which is not reflective of how, you know, reality, what, what actually happens in reality. I think what rings, you know, over and over in this conversation, and and I hear it a lot, is just the importance of having somebody there by your side, whether that is a family member, whether that is a service, whether that is you know some other outside expert, a physician, but you got to have somebody right there with you just in case you cannot convey your own wishes at that point in time. And like you said, it's hard to check a box yes or no. If if I'm 105 years old and I'm just a shell of a human being and I can't do anything or move, okay, do I want to be innovated? No, not really. If it happens next year and I'm in my 30s, yeah, okay. I, I you know, got some good years left, I think. So the importance of having that. But again, that goes back to having that conversation. How do you know, how does somebody there by your side without being able to approach that subject? And I, it's it just one of those things where you always go to it and 
I'm an optimist, Sulin. I mean, I am like not necessarily happy-go-lucky, but I want to see the bright, you know, the silver lining in everything I do. It's tough to have that and think about loved ones in those situations. So, you know, again, I love just the educational part of it. And what you said was powerful. We're not trying to steer somebody to this or this, but we're trying to just show them that, hey, this is a good idea. These are options out there. Absolutely. And I think it's so normal to feel fear, right? And and it's not necessarily, you know, for most of us in our kind of society and culture, it doesn't feel like a pleasant place to be. And so what we're also trying to do is try to reframe it, right? It's more about values. It's more about connecting and then also just accepting the reality that we're not immortal, right? So like just try to accept that and then try to see, well, what kind of positive things does that bring, right? So I'll give you a quick example. A lot of times when I talk to people about what we do, people ask me, oh, this must be so depressing. And it's honestly quite the opposite. Every day I'm reminded of why life is precious. Every day I'm reminded of what's important to me, how I want to spend my time, who I want to spend my time with. And it is actually a great reminder. And this is, you know, not a new concept, right? Like a lot of Eastern religions have said, you know, you got to meditate on death. They bring happiness. And it's like, what? That makes no sense. But actually what it does is create an enormous amount of gratitude and clarity, right? So as much as we can, we want to help people see that side of it. Because what we, what we do believe is that pretending like it's not going to happen is not serving people. So, That's a great way to but, put but, it. But yeah, it's absolutely. completely understandable that it's a hard topic, right? So we're just trying to provide other entry points in. And so for some people that may, might be, you know, some people really love choosing what their funeral songs are going to be and like what that's going to look like. And that feels like a very like, it's more like an expression of who they are, like almost like a wedding, right? Or other people like to think about like, what are they going to pass on? Like, what lessons and what are what is their legacy and how they how do they want to be remembered can be a very great entry point. So different people have different ways in and we're trying to bring that in. And I think another thing that we're trying to do is that even though I came at this very much from a healthcare angle, we quickly saw that people don't segment their lives of like my healthcare stuff and all my other stuff, right? It's so interconnected. Like people's healthcare decisions and their financials, right? super intertwined, right? Or like how they are making advanced care planning decisions is impacts every single part of your life, right? So we quickly saw that a more comprehensive approach was probably better because you can't make healthcare decisions in a vacuum. So we, we wanted to kind of bring that comprehensive whole person approach to this type of medical decision making and preparation. It's like therapy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to discount that or be flipping about it, but no, yeah. Like, that's why I, you know I'm sitting here kind of smiling, um, you know, for for anybody watching the video, and I'm sitting there shaking my head. It's like you know when you're able to express something or talk about something that might be weighing on you, and of course everybody's totally different in their personalities, but for a lot of people, therapy works because you're able to voice it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I feel much better because. I just didn't know how to articulate it. And now that weight is off my shoulders and we can have an actual conversation about it. And yes, it's going to be emotional, but we can actually have a conversation with it. And so many aspects of life build into that where people's lives are all different. But I think, you know, the common theme of us all is there, we're going to hit the end of the end of the road at, at some point in time. And to be having amazing resources is going to be very valuable there. Um, what do I ask you this? So, you know, you've been named Fortune 40 under 40, Care 100, most influential people in care. What is there a common element that said, wow, this this part of what we're doing or this aspect of it um, really popped us into the stratosphere? And yeah, any surprises along the way that you found? Yeah, I, I would say that probably one of the biggest turning points in our company 
Um, and actually Stanford Business School did a case study on this and like set me in this point in time was we were partnering with a lot of healthcare organizations to distribute our platform, but we knew that consumers were interested in this directly. And we pitched a lot of venture investors. A lot of them said, nobody thinks about this. And of course it makes sense, right? I think everyone over indexes on their nobody own personal feelings. Nobody wants to think about this, right? Well, I, I would say not nobody. So that, I think that's what's interesting. A lot of people don't want to think about it, but there is a gigantic and growing death positivity movement of people who do want to think about it. And then there's also people who have to think about it because of whatever external things are going on in their lives, right? Like if you have a health event and you have to think about it, you kind of have to do it. You you can't really opt out at that point, right? So because this is such a universal part of the human experience and the market is so big, we don't need to convert, like we don't need to try to convince people who are very resistant to think about it. There is enough people who are, are actually actively thinking about it right now. And so that, but that was a big if, right, at the time. So I think a big turning point for us was really um, showing and proving to everyone, like we have 40 million people a year on the platform organically coming to the site. We're not buying people. We're not shoving ads in people's faces. People are just like naturally coming from Google search, coming to our site because they're searching for you know, questions that they have around the end of life category. So that just proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the consumer demand is absolutely there. And, you know, we're just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's so many more people out there that we could get on our site. So the demand 100% for sure there. So then the question though is, what are the right paths for people? What are the right user journeys through this kind of topic? Because it's so complex, it's so emotional, it's so variable, right? everyone's relationship with death is very much informed by their personal experience, their experiences of loss, their cultural or religious traditions, you know, so many things, right? So I think that part is what's really challenging, but even just proving that anyone thinks about this was huge. Um, so I think that was a, a big kind of aha moment for the industry. And now there's a lot of companies that are kind of helping people with all different parts of it. There's like it's amazing, actually, the amount of innovation that's coming to the space in all the different ways, like from, you know, helping with grief to different ways of being kind of buried. So now cremation has now exceeded traditional burials, the primary way people choose that it used to be the minority in 20 years, it's going to be like 85%, right? And then there's all these new eco-friendly options like human composting that's only legal in a few states now, but it's definitely going to become legalized in more and more and more places around the, the country. And I think that's a very attractive option. Like we see on our audience that a lot of people would love the idea of returning to the earth and for their last act to be a net positive for the environment feels really, you know, full circle for a lot of people. So we definitely see a lot of potential in those. So, so I think there's just so much activity and energy in this area that we absolutely believe in the ecosystem and that as people become less afraid to engage with the topic, that there's going to be more and more opportunities, more and more creativity, more and more options for people as they um, navigate, you know, what they want and what they want for their families. No, I, I love it. And I just think about this industry as just dominated by mortuaries and, and, and old school legal thought. And I'm kind of sitting as you're talking there about different ways and human composting. I don't that to me, I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. All right. I know what a compost pile is. It's probably not the same thing, but uh, <laughs> I'd never heard that term before. It's, it's fascinating to think about because I'm thinking about walking into a mortuary. I'm like, okay, which coffin do I want to put my loved ones in? It's, and to me, like, that's how you do it. And I'm like, there's gotta be a less, 
Well, there's no yeah, right now you have a lot of options. Be a better way to do it, right? You have a lot of options now. So, like, let's say you do get cremated. You know, now you can get it turned into a diamond. You can get it sprinkled in the in a forest and have like a place there. So instead of going to a cemetery, your loved ones can go for like a hike in the woods. There's so many options now, and it's only going to expand from here. Because like you said, like even the way you're talking about it, we have nothing against the tra- traditional way, but the traditional way doesn't resonate with everybody. Some people want some, something slightly different, but that vibe doesn't seem like what they want. So I think, and I think the challenge for these newcomers into the, the industry is that a lot of people don't even know that there's another way. And so how do we help them discover, hey, there's like other things that you could be doing. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's really about, the way we talk about it internally in our team is it's kind of like self-expression. It's like, this is who I am. You know, it's, it's the same way weddings used to be very traditional, right? Like maybe in a, a religious like house of worship or something. And then very traditional. Now, you know, you get married in a brewery, you get married wherever. And, you know, there's more and more kind of different things that you can do. We see the similar trend in funerals. And then we see a similar trend in what people want. And, and we see also a lot of humor, right? And like, we don't want to be flippant about any of this. That said, there's a place for humor and joy in talking about someone and honoring their life. And actually, that's why we call ourselves cake, right? We want to be about celebrating and honoring life moments, important life moments. That's why you do end of life planning, right? You, people do end of life planning because they want to have a say in curating what their legacy is. And most importantly, the number one reason, they want to unburden their loved ones. It's a gift to their loved ones to make these decisions in advance. So it's a very like positive act, actually. But there's so much baggage, societal baggage around it that we're trying to remove some of that so that people can take some action. I always look, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I love reading. And I think you even mentioned yourself, like we put so much time and energy into birth plans and bringing new yes. life into the world. We write that first chapter, first couple of chapters, right? And and it's a beautiful thing. And it's an amazing thing. And kind of a lot of parallels of what you're talking about that there's all kinds of new ideas coming out and birth plans. And it's not just go to the hospital. Here it is. There's all kinds of different things you could do to make that very personal and make it what you're comfortable with. And so I see a lot of parallels there, but it seems like people write those first couple chapters. And after that, they say, well, this book's not going to have a back cover when every good story does. Uh, It's true. Yeah. And and that last chapter is just as important as the first chapter in pretty much every single book out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there, you know, I'm not a sociologist, so I think there's a lot of overlapping reasons why aging is scary for people and death is scary for people and how those two interact and how how we treat older people in this country and my theory is like you know part of it is motivated by their reminder of where we're all if we're, we'd be lucky right to get old and we'd be lucky to kind of experience that but that's kind of not how it's kind of positioned in our society and so and and part of my theory is that it's somewhat also powered by you know, this fear of death and this fear of getting old, which are very much intertwined. And so um, I completely agree that it's like, these are bookends of life. They're equally important, but we really ignore one of them. And we also have a lot of people, um, I don't know, I actually just saw this statistic the other day, but there's actually more dogs than children in this country. I didn't know that. So more, like there's a lot more pets, but anyway, it's very interesting to think about how we treat our pets at end of life, right? It's very different, right? There's sort of this compassion for easing suffering that's like missing in a lot of, and then there's sort of, for some reason, some people seem to be less blocked in certain ways around how to think about end of life with their pets versus their loved ones. There's just like, I think maybe less societal and emotional baggage around that. And so it's just interesting to see those trends and how they're going to be shifting over time. It's an interesting parallel because 
again, you know, we, we are a healthcare company and we help connect patients and doctors. And every once in a while, we'll say, well, no, we'll get somebody who says, well, I'm not going to pay an extra dollar to go see a doc- doctor right now. Yet they will shell out thousands of dollars for a cat or a dog or anything along those lines. And, there you go. Yeah. You, know, you see it in the movies. It's like, you know, how much violence in action movies and, and bad guys are getting blown away. But you know what? If a horse or a dog is a victim of any of those action movies or anything like that, there are tears Right, All it's so across hard. The theater, That's right? a really good point. So, yes. I, yeah, it's I like, totally see it. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sue so Lynn, I want to give you the last word here. What's your takeaway for our audience coming out of this discussion? Yeah, I think it's just to st- maybe start thinking about where you are yourself and where your loved ones are in their planning journeys. And it's not to say, we all need to sit down and do all the planning, get all the documents right away. That's like such an unreasonable ask, right? But as an example, for those of us who are lucky to have parents whom we have relationships with, their end of life is going to be on our plate for the most part, right? So it's really important to just start those conversations, start thinking about it, even though it's awkward. We have a ton of resources on our site to help figure out how to navigate those conversations. And so it doesn't have to be, you're old, so you're going to die soon, so we have to have this. It's that we're all, we should all be having these conversations more often. And I want to think about what I would want should anything happen. And you should also think about it. And I would love to know what you want because I want to honor you and I want to honor your wishes. So, and I think I would also say like, even a little bit is better than nothing, right? So you don't have to do it all at once. Like even doing a little bit, getting a healthcare proxy designated, even just as a first step is like a great first step. And it doesn't have to take, it's like very, very, we can, you can find all the forms for free on our site. Very easy to do. And that's like a one great step to take. So, Lynn, I want to thank you for joining us here. It's been a fascinating yeah. conversation. I've learned a lot. And um, I hope that you know, these kind of conversations spur somebody to go out there and research it and say, you know what, I'm not going to be afraid of the unknown. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to figure this out. And then we're going to have a plan it's just in case. It's always better yeah. to be prepared, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just in case, but also you know it's definitely going to happen. So it's not a waste of time. <laughs> to, to, to get don't know when. You don't know when. Unless they're one of those weird people out there. It's like, I want to know exactly what day it is and what time and how I go. And I'm like, well, that's not for me. But I like to be prepared on that. So Sulin Chen, CEO, co-founder of Cake. Thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com. Catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our fantastic online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris.
At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.